From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting in for Tony today. Grateful that you are with us. Today on the program, 11 pro-life activists were arrested more than a year and a half ago after a protest at an abortion clinic uh, in related to events that happened more than a year and a half ago at a, an abortion clinic. What were they arrested for and why did it take so long? In addition, Whistleblowers within the Department of Justice claim resources are being redirected away from child exploitation cases to politically motivated cases like January 6th rioters and pro-life protesters. We'll give you the details of the whistleblowers' complaints. In addition, a lot of developments this week. Just weeks before the midterms, former Democratic presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard has left the Democratic Party. We'll tell you why. And last night, there was a debate in the U.S. Senate race in Ohio. We'll talk about both of those developments later in the program. Our headline today, though, the FBI arrests of pro-life advocates that began last month with Mark Houck have only continued. Now, the accounts of heavily armed FBI agents dragging pro-life leaders from their homes are chilling. And I go and I see um, our whole driveway and our whole lawn uh, covered with, I mean, it had to have been at least 15 vehicles. Um, in fact, once I had gone downstairs, I, I could see that they were around the side of my house and everything. Um, heavily armed, um, shields, um, helmets, vests, big, huge, long rifle-type guns. That was Ryan Marie Hauk, the wife of Mark Hauk, recalling last month's raid related to the events that happened more than a year and a half ago. The prosecutor looked at facts and refused to press charges. Hauk and other pro-lifers are accused of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, also called the FACE Act, a conviction that could lead to more than 10 years in prison. In addition, as previously mentioned, 11 more pro-lifers have been arrested in response to protests that happened in March of 2021, more than a year and a half ago. How many cases have there been in, in the attacks against pro-life pregnancy centers? Zero. Has the Biden administration weaponized the government against its political opponents while overlooking criminal offenses from the left? Joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Jody Heiss. He serves the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. He represents Georgia's 10th Congressional District. Congressman Heiss, good to see you today. Great to be with you, Joseph. Thanks. Very quickly, what's your reaction to this, uh, what is now a string of arrests, certainly a pattern of pro-life uh, activists? Well, it is a pattern, and it's exceedingly disturbing. There is no question that we are witnessing right now in the United States of America, the weaponization of our federal government to go after political enemies, primarily uh, conservatives, Christian conservatives, pro-life conservatives, Second Amendment conservatives, uh, Trump conservatives. Uh, and our federal government is being weaponized, the Department of uh, Justice going after these individuals. And it is frightening, it's chilling. This is something that never, ever under any circumstance to be taking place in our country. 
Now, Congressman Heist, you talk about, you use the word chilling there, and the display of force being used in some of these raids can also be described as chilling. We, we played that comment from uh, Mark Houck's wife. She estimates between 20 and 30 agents, 15 vehicles, all with weapons drawn, over what was by all accounts per, uh, a minor physical altercation at best. Why do you think that kind of display of force is being used at a residential home, seven kids in the house, never a record of any kind of violent offense? What's happening? What's the motivation be behind that show of force? Yeah, it's all intimidation. It's coming after the American people by use of force and intimidation to try to get people not to stand up for their constitutionally unalienable rights that we have to express our uh, world views, our personal views in the public square and to, to stand up for them. And this administration does not want that to happen to those who are on the other side of the aisle to their political agenda. And so this is all about an intimidation. And keep in mind here, here's an individual, Mark Houck, who just three months ago uh, offered to voluntarily turn himself in. The, the cases have been dropped in Philadelphia. And my question is, the FACE Act, now that we have the uh, reversal, if you will, of Roe v. Wade, uh, does the federal government even have any jurisdiction on the FACE Act, seeing that there is no federal law on this issue? Uh, this has now been kicked back to the state, so I believe there's a legitimate question as to the, even the jurisdiction that the federal government has on this thing. But look, there's so many problems with this. Uh, and the, at the end of the day, though, yeah, I believe it's an, an, a, an act of force to bring about intimidation. You've been tracking the story for a while. Last month, you and 22 members of Congress wrote a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland asking some questions, looking for some answers specifically related to the Mark Houck uh, raid and uh, subsequent arrest. Did you get any answers? Not yet. Uh, that letter was led by uh, my friend and colleague, Chip Roy. And as you mentioned, there are many of us that signed on to this. But listen, we want to know, among other things, how many other investigations uh, regarding the FACE Act is the FBI involved with? What is going on here? This is an abuse of force, abuse of power, abuse of rights on American citizens, and a weaponization of the federal government. And we want answers to these questions. And so far to this point, uh, nothing but crickets. And in the quest for answers, what information would you need to get from the Department of Justice that would make the actions from the Department of Justice justifiable? I don't believe there's anything that would make this justifiable, given the circumstances in this particular case. As I said, all the, all the charges have been dropped by the state. They've been dropped uh, in, in Philadelphia court, there is nothing here for the FBI to be involved with. And we were told on the House floor uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, that that by the Democrats that federal force would not be needed, uh, that this would be the FACE Act is going to be left up entirely to the states. And the only exception might be is if the states request help or need help then perhaps there would be a reason for federal assistance. But in this case, the state has dropped all the charges. There's nothing there. I cannot imagine what type of additional information the FBI would have 
to justify this abuse of force, given the circumstances of, a, of the drop charges and given the nature of the fact that Mark Houck himself offered to turn himself in. Yeah. Uh, why this use of force with 20, 25, 30 FBI agents fully armed makes absolutely no sense. It'll be curious to see as that case uh, drags on whether Mark Houck doesn't have, in fact, a lawsuit himself against the Department of Justice uh, if it turns out to be just a, a purely spiteful, politically motivated uh, case. But, Congressman Heiss, you are also a pastor. Uh, in that role, in that sense, what's your advice to pro-life activists, to just Christians who see a government that looks increasingly hostile uh, to our beliefs and to those who might uh, speak publicly about them. What's your advice? Well, it's the, the same thing that we saw in the book of Acts. When Christians were being persecuted and chased from city to city, they stood up for their Christian beliefs. They stood up for their Christian values and in essence said, you do to us what seems right to you, but for us, we are going to continue standing for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the things that we believe in. And sometimes, yes, there are consequences with that. Absolutely. At this point, this current administration is trying to intimidate Christians from standing on their constitutionally protected rights. And even beyond constitutionally protected, they're unalienable rights. These are rights that government did not grant. They are rights that government cannot take away. And yet we are watching the intimidation. Religious liberties are being tremendously threatened in the United States these days. And this is a time for all of us to stand up, stand firm, uh, to pray like we've never prayed before, and to engage like we've never engaged before in terms of standing up for what we believe. And the truth is, most of the time when we take a stand, Joseph, we win. But to cower under the intimidation certainly is not the answer. Fear is never the right response. Now, Congressman, I want to switch gears with you. Last night, Kamala Harris was on The Late Show with Seth Meyers talking about a range of issues, including uh, what the upcoming election means. Let's play clip three. If we keep our numbers in the Senate and elect two more United States senators, then the president can sign into law the Women's Health Protection Act, which would put into law the protections of Roe v. Wade. So critically important. 29 days to go. Congressman, it's clear that Kamala Harris and the Democrats really want to make this election about abortion. Do you think that's a winning strategy for them? It's absolutely not a winning strategy. The vast, vast majority of Americans want some sort of restrictions on abortions, uh, and those restrictions vary from individual uh, to individual, but the vast majority of Americans do not agree with the Democratic Party's push towards unlimited abortions right up to the point of birth. And uh, this is, uh, look, we've got to protect life, as we all know, without the right to life, uh, none of the other rights that we have really mean anything whatsoever. And so this is certainly a, a biblical issue. It's a moral issue. Unfortunately, it's been pulled into the political yeah. arena, but this is what the Democratic Party is hanging on to, and I believe it will absolutely backfire on them. But it is worth every voter worth noting that uh, what she said there is true, that if the Democrats do pick up two more seats in the U.S. Senate, they would essentially codify abortion up to birth, perhaps after that, as a matter of federal law. And everyone should have that awareness when they vote in uh, in November next month or in the coming weeks, in fact. One other clip she was taking on the border as well, specifically addressed how Governor Abbott in Texas is responding. Uh, let's play that. 
I just think it's an absolute dereliction of duty. If you see a problem and if we agree that, that we need to address it, then if you're a leader, participate in a solution, right? Congressman Heiss, uh, Vice, Vice President Harris has been appointed as the border czar, but apparently taking uh, shots at Governor Abbott for his dereliction of duty. What's your reaction to that? The real dereliction of duty is here's the so-called czar of the border who has not even been to the border. She's not even gone to check it out. She absolutely is refusing to do her job uh, as the so-called czar of the, the border. Look, fentanyl is now the number one killer in the United States. It is because our borders are wide open and fentanyl is literally pouring across our borders, as are uh, terrorists, criminals, uh, human trafficking. Uh, I've been to all nine sectors of our southern border. It is absolutely inexcusable what's happening at our southern border. And here, Vice President Harris has not even bothered to take a trip to look at it herself. And yet she prefers to sit in her elitist high chair, uh, instructing the rest of us, lecturing the rest of us about morality of, of the border when it is a disaster, a crisis on every level. And she and President Biden are responsible for it. And Congressman Jody Heiss, thank you so much for your time today. I know we will do it again soon. Thanks, Joseph. Coming up, we are going to continue our conversation about the Department of Justice's apparent targeting of pro-life pro activists. Excuse me. As we mentioned, there have been 11 other pro-lifers who were arrested in, uh, connected to one single incident. We're going to talk to somebody representing them when we come back about what they're dealing with and how they're responding. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. 
To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Continuing our discussion of the Biden administration targeting pro-life activists. Eleven more have been indicted for protests at an abortion facility that happened more than a year and a half ago. As reported by Town Hall, one of those arrested said the day of the arrest had a church-like atmosphere with the pro-life protesters singing hymns, reading scripture, and praying in a hallway outside the facility. Joining me now to discuss the incident as well as the arrest is A.J. Hurley. He's the national director of the Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust and a spokesman for the 11 pro-life supporters who were arrested. A.J., welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking some time for us. Um, Tell us what led to the arrests. What was the incident uh, that was connected to these arrests? Yeah, I mean, a bunch of people, just friends of mine, gathered to sing and basically conduct a worship service outside of an abortion clinic called the Carafim Abortion Clinic in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Many people live in that area that I know, and they just wanted to bring the gospel and the love of Christ to the abortion clinic, so they all gathered and did a demonstration of worship and praise, uh, among whom was, you know, a, a bunch of elderly people, a 90-year-old, almost a, a Holocaust survivor, and a bunch of people just trying to, yeah, dissuade women to, um, to commit a horrible AJ, act of abortion. Yeah. When you say outside of an abortion clinic, are we talking on a sidewalk? Are we talking in a parking lot? Give us a description of this because we know these things happen a lot. Most of the time they don't lead to arrests. Was there something unusual about this one? Um, not unusual in the sense. The only, I think I'm thing that is unusual was the brazen aspect of that. They did it inside of this clinic. So it's, it's in a, a, a clinic that's a multi-use clinic, uh, for other medical, um, facilities and then there's a an abortion clinic inside so they went in found where this the hallway to this abortion clinic is and had their protest right there in front of the doors so what are they being accused of so two things they're accused of being um basically committing the the uh, a violation of the face act which is the freedom of access to clinic entrances act and a conspiracy charge so this conspiracy charge is a, a unique charge that 
the DOJ and the FBI have been recently throwing at pro-lifers only this year, really. It's a conspiracy to rob somebody of a constitutional right. And uh, combined, the face is one year and then the conspiracy charges up to 10. So these literal ladies and Christians are facing (laughs) up to 11 years, believe it or not, in prison for having a worship service in front of the doors of an abortion clinic. That's a particularly interesting charge in light of uh, the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe, conspiracy to deprive somebody of a constitutional right in a landscape when there is no constitutional right, uh, is an interesting posture for the Department of Justice uh, to be taking. Um, But we, we, t- we talked earlier in the program about uh, Mark Houck, his arrest, mm-hmm. the incredible show of force in that case. 11 other arrests around the same incident, but they I assume they were not all in the same place, so these happened independently. Um, how were these arrests conducted? So uh, it's it really varies. Two of the people, the FBI, showed up at their homes, Paul Vaughn and Chet Gallagher, longtime uh Christian pro-life activists, uh, family men. I believe Paul has like 10 children. Uh, So uh, they showed up their homes, guns blazing, and uh, refusing to even identify themselves or provide arrest warrants and just egregious SWAT-like behavior for peaceful, loving Christians, unfortunately. Yeah, for those who are watching, we were just showing some B-roll of one of those arrests there, and you can see once again you, you have you have um, um, vests on, people with guns uh, coming to these homes. It does beg the question: what what would justify this kind of a of a show of force from people uh, who haven't even been accused of being violent? It sounds like the charge here is you stood inside of a commercial building and sang hymns, and we didn't like that. But AJ. How are these individuals responding? Are they angry? Are they discouraged? Are they afraid? What's their emotional response? I mean, anytime that the the DOJ or the FBI shows up at your doorstep, guns drawn, it's fearful. But I can tell you this, that the level of courage and um, joy in the midst of this, they see this as nothing other than a persecution for doing right. I mean, Jesus said, you know, woe to you when all men speak well of you. He said, um, you know, such as they persecuted the prophets and people before you. So I think they, um, they're counting this exceedingly joyful just to be able to, to yeah. uh, s- stand in solidarity with the, the yeah. children that, that are being slaughtered every day in, in this country. And I, and I think that is the biblical response to this, and that we ought to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. And, and God certainly does work through these things. But AJ, have they received any kind of explanation for why these arrests have taken place a year and a half after the initial incident? Yeah, so what, that's what's interesting about this, is that um, many of these people who have been charged now with conspiracy and face charges— when they went to their trials a year and a half ago, all charges were dropped. Some of these people were, never had even went into the building and they were charged with these charges. So it's really fascinating now that you know the judges acquit 
people of all charges, and then the DOJ comes in, targets specific people of political persuasions or religious persuasions, and AJ? now is, is prosecuting them. Yeah. I, I want to get some clarification there. So are you saying there were local charges a year and a half ago, and now these are federal charges? Is that the situation? Yes, yeah, exactly. So these people were charged and arrested, some of them, uh, a year and a half ago at the time uh, of trespassing, simple trespassing, and they were acquitted of those charges, the charges for many of them were dropped entirely, and now the DOJ is picking that up a year later and charging them again. It really does create the impression that they, the Department of Justice went fishing for people that they could make face act uh, accusations on behalf of. But AJ, uh, in about 20 seconds, what's the status of these cases now? Yeah, so uh, tomorrow, the, all of the 11 will appear, actually, some, most of the 11 will appear uh, at a federal court hearing tomorrow morning in Nashville. And actually, here in Nashville, we'll be having a press conference in the morning with some of them, which Eva Edel will be speaking, Paul, uh, Paul Vaughn will be speaking at the pre press conference, just uh, informing the public of the federal tyranny. Thank you for your time. We're out of time. Got to let you go. God we'll do it again. You. Thanks so much. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Stay with us. More to come here on Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. The website is TonyPerkins.com. We talked a lot today about the specific cases where the Department of Justice has reached into the Wayback Machine to find pro-life activists they could accuse of violating the FACE Act. 
Now, recently, Republicans in the House Judiciary Committee launched an inquiry questioning whether the Department of Justice is now a weapon aimed at opponents of the Biden administration. They also say whistleblowers report that the FBI has redirected resources from investigating child pornography cases to pursue political opponents. Is the FBI focused on those who protect children, enabling those who prey on children? Joining me now to discuss this is Donna Rice-Hughes, CEO and president of Enough is Enough. Donna, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be with you. We're glad to have you. Let's get right into it. Uh, Whistleblowers allegedly from inside the FBI claiming the resources being directed away from child predator cases to politically motivated cases. What else can you tell us? Well, that's what we know from the whistleblower. Not only that, but specifically uh, redirected to focus on January 6th events, uh, number one. Number two, we also do know that there has been a policy shift to for state, local uh, law enforcement and attorneys general to focus on child sexual abuse material, which is the new name for child pornography and prosecuting those cases. Now, let me just give you an overview of how big this is. When A.G. Barr was A.G., He said that at that point, pre-COVID, that they could not even prosecute their way out of the amount of child sex abuse material that they were getting. Now, since COVID, those cases have skyrocketed. And even last year, they've gone up to 85 million uh, videos and images of children as young as infants and toddlers being sexually abused and violated. This is what the landscape of child sex abuse material formerly known as child pornography yeah. looks like for so for the department of justice to allocate resources that we we don't even have enough to focus on this elsewhere to anything is absolutely um it's maddening it's sad and it's Donna, wrong yeah now i think everybody would agree with that that they're should be no higher priority. There may also be other high priorities, but there should not be within the Department of Justice a higher priority than catching people who are predators of children. What's the basis of this concern that the Department of Justice is, in fact, deprioritizing those cases? We don't know why they're doing this, to be perfectly honest. And let me just give you another data point. We also know that our last presidential administration, they have prioritized human trafficking and specifically sex trafficking. Now we have learned from DOJ insiders that the focus is going to be now more on labor trafficking, which is also a big problem, and less of a focus on sex trafficking. So there's a lot going on. And then you add to this the fact that there's an entire department inside DOJ called the Child Exploitation and Obscenity Section. That section is supposed to be devoted to what we're talking about right now, child predation, child exploitation, child pornography, and also obscenity. Well, obscenity is hardcore material. And this kind of content is not protected under the First Amendment, yet these laws have not been prosecuted since George W. Bush was president. So their priorities are completely wrong. They need to get back to the government's compelling interest to protect the innocence and dignity of our children and enforce the entire rule of law. It makes no sense whatsoever. They're not doing their job. 
Of course, the Department of Justice is a is a big agency, and and they're going to multitask regardless, and they can't just do one kind one kind of criminal investigation. Um, of course. But how are we seeing the pieces moving within the department? Are we relying on the whistleblowers themselves? Is there other evidence? Have we seen the budget where they have cut investigations of uh, sex predators? Well, we I I haven't I have not seen that budget currently, but I can tell you that Congress, even for the past two years and the appropriations uh, budget, they have actually asked DOJ to begin prosecuting obscenity cases. And we know for a fact that they're not doing that because that was not anywhere in DOJ's budget or priorities. Now, when we have these whistleblowers, is there a formal process that uh, someone has to respond to to investigate the concerns? To be perfectly honest, I'm not familiar with the whistleblower uh, rules and that type of thing. I only learned about this, quite frankly, the whistleblower in this particular case that we talked about at the top of my remarks uh, th through a report that came through Fox News. But we have known that this has not been the kind of priority. In fact, what we've been asking for is for more money, more resources to put more law enforcement on child exploitation and child pornography cases. And then to learn that it looks like there has been a policy, policy shift away from this is astonishing. And that certainly is uh, something that I'm sh I know is shared by everyone who's uh, watching and listening today. Donna, what can the public be doing, uh, those who share your concern, what should people be doing to get uh, the attention of our lawmakers and our agencies to prioritize the right things? Well, great. Thank you. Great question. We actually have a petition. Petitions make a lot of noise. Let your voice be heard. You can go to enough.org and sign the petition to G DOJ to prioritize the prosecution of all these cases. And I think also at FRC, you also have a link to that petition. We have about 18,000 signers so far. I would love to get that way up and we could use your help to do that. Please share it. Let people know about it because they, they do listen to your voices and we've got to be loud on this and we've got to shout it from the That's rooftops. That's exactly right. Donna Rice yeah. Hughes, we are out of time. Thanks for being with Thank us so you. much. And you stay with us. We'll be right back here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. 
So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Former Democratic presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard announced this morning that she has left the Democratic Party. Here's what she said when announcing her resignation. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who were driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Those are strong words from a now former Democrat. She is also a former representative from Hawaii, and Gabbard dutifully endorsed now President Biden once she suspended her own campaign in 2020. But her family history may have some offer some insight for her departure. Her father, a longtime Hawaii state senator, began working in politics more than 30 years ago and, in fact, led the defensive marriage campaign in that state. Joining me now to discuss her departure from the Democratic Party and what it could mean is Ken Blackwell, Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance here at Family Research Council. Ken, good to see you today. As always, good to be with you, Joseph. Well, first, what was your reaction uh, when you heard the announcement that Tulsi Gabbard was leaving the Democratic Party? Well, you know what? I wasn't surprised because what I've witnessed, along with every other American, is the radicalization of the Democrat Party. Uh, this is, speaking kindly, a big government socialist party that tries to drive God and faith out of the public square 
advocates for the destruction of the nuclear family uh, and actually uh, advances a notion of a nation without borders. Uh, and so uh, anybody of any common sense uh, and I think decency will find it real hard to stay with this party's doctrine. Uh, and and it, it's something that FRC has underscored now for more than a decade, and that is to take special uh, uh, look, a special look yeah. at the distinction uh, between the two-party platforms uh, in our two-party system. Uh, it, there is a direct contrast, uh, and I think more and more uh, Americans are saying it's a time for choosing, and they're choosing decency and common sense. Uh, and, and 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 a philosophy or a doctrine that would ac actually preserve our our constitutional republic. Not only did she leave the Democratic Party, she encouraged others to do the same, and she also did not mince words in her explanation, which was, as we played portions of, very detailed. She described them as an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoke anti-white racism, actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms are you surprised by how strong her words were when announcing her departure? Well, no, because I think th that elite that she talks about has wasted no time demonizing her and criticizing her for uh, those things that she stands for that are pretty pretty common, common sense. Look, I, I don't think she's necessarily uh, a, a movement conservative. Uh, but I think that she has the the common sense to understand uh, that that life is precious and that she can no longer be affiliated with a party that says that abortion is okay right at the moment up to the moment of of, of, of birth. You know, I, I don't think she, she can stay in league with a party that talks about defunding the police and watch personal safety in neighborhood after neighborhood be jeopardized uh, and, and watch on uh, television uh, the, the beating of innocent civilians who are just minding their business, coming back home from work, going to their families, and they're being openly assaulted. And those who do the assaulting are treated more kindly uh, by Democrat apologists uh, than the victims that they have, in fact, beaten or, 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 or murdered. And she's done this in a very public way. She's been involved in public life and in politics for a long time now, even though she still is, uh, is young in political years, uh, for sure. Do you think this is part of a larger strategy for her? Well, it, it, it could be. Uh, but I, I think it's an expression of what I consider to be a pushback. Uh, and that is that she she can no longer be affiliated with with uh, a party that constantly ma marginalizes her her human dignity and her value uh, as as a public as a public force as a public leader. Uh, and so uh, again, uh, as Ronald Reagan was fond of saying, it's not so much that they are or she is leaving the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party has left her. Uh, because it has now uh, surrendered its soul 
uh, to this party that would destroy the family, chase God and faith out of the public square, uh, and open uh, and have an open assault on the the, the dignity of, of of human life. And Ken, very quickly, last question. We're going to bring on Aaron Bear and talk about the Senate race in Ohio. But you're from Ohio. What's your quick snapshot of that race between J.D. Vance and uh, Tim Ryan? Oh, I tell you, uh, Biden is sticking to Tim Ryan like flypaper. Uh, and I thought that J.D. did a good job last night of basically tying him to his record uh, and to his affiliation with this regime that is right now uh, in the White House that is destroying uh, our, our, our nation, not only its con uh, economy, but going after the, the, the soul of our nation. Ken Blackwell, always good to be with you. Thanks for stopping by. Good to be with you, sir. Now, as we just talked about, one of the most high-profile Senate races this year is in Ohio. And last night, as Ken just referred to, Ohio Senate candidates J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan held a televised debate, squaring off less than 30 days from the election in a race that could determine which party controls the United States Senate. Well, the Republican, J.D. Vance, vaulted, faulted his opponents for his congressional record of ignoring crime, opening the border, and supporting any effort to promote abortion on demand. What are the key takeaways from the debate? Who's going to win that race? Joining me now to discuss it all is Aaron Baer. He's the president of the Ohio-based Center for Christian Virtue. They are the Ohio State partner of the Family Research Council. Aaron, good to see you today. Great to see you, Joe. Well, What's going on in this race? Did last night's debate change anything? You know, really, it's not going to change much. Uh, the reality is uh, Ohio has been a, a strong pro-life state uh, for many years now and is moving more and more in that direction every day. So J.D. Vance is in strong position here as long as he sticks to his guns. Uh, and the reality is Tim Ryan uh, was exposed as, as the guy that people have come to know him in the state. Uh, so it was a great opportunity for, for more people in the state to see who Tim Ryan was and really to, to understand what J.D. Vance uh, stands for. But big picture, uh, really for pro-lifers, for people who care about religious freedom and family, uh, I think last night is going to be a blip on the radar that ultimately delivers a big victory uh, for pro-lifers. Now, Aaron, we're familiar with a lot of the arguments. I want to play a clip of one of the attacks that Tim Ryan made against J.D. Vance and give you a chance to respond. Let's play clip seven kill and confront the extremist movement of which J.D. Vance, unfortunately, is a part of, right? Who says that the president of the United States is intentionally trying to kill people with fentanyl? Who says that the election was stolen? J.D. Vance does. Who runs around with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who wants to ban books? He running around with Lindsey Graham, who wants a national abortion ban. Aaron Bear, what's your reaction to that? You know, at the end of the day, that, that Tim Ryan thinks it's wrong uh, to try to protect 10-year-olds and under from being exposed to sexual materials, that Tim Ryan thinks that Lindsey Graham's 15-week bill is an extreme abortion bill, it just shows how extreme Tim Ryan is. He's trying to cover up the, the extremist he's become in Washington, very different than he was when he first ran uh, for state senate uh, in Youngstown about two decades ago. Um, but the reality is he's been pretty well exposed, and those comments really reflect that. Yeah, and he brought up the abortion issue there, and Lindsey Graham, the, the idea that 
Lindsey Graham wants to have a national law uh, prohibiting abortion uh, before 15 weeks or after 15 weeks, rather, which would basically put the United States on par with the rest of the globe, other than right. places like China and Russia and North Korea, right, where you can do it anytime you want to. Um, but J.D. Vance took on the abortion issue. Uh, one of the most memorable moments of the night was after Tim Ryan accused him, asked him about this case of a 10-year-old girl who had been raped. Um, here's J.D.'s response. This has kind of gone viral. Let's play clip 10. The thing the media and Congress and Ryan, they talk about this all the time. The thing they never mentioned is that poor girl was raped by an illegal alien, somebody that should have never been in this state in the first place. You voted so many times against border wall funding, so many times for amnesty, Tim. If you had done your job, she would have never been raped in the first place. Do your job on border security. Don't lecture me about opinions I don't actually have. Aaron, was that effective? That was a beautiful thing. Really, Joe, you, you and I have been watching candidates run for office for many years now. And this is one of the first times I feel like I've seen a candidate, especially in Ohio, not hide to the left when they come attacking on the abortion issue and stand your ground and really take it back to them. And J.D. did that so well. I think one of the things that we really can't underestimate about what J.D. Vance did and really what shows the impact of organizations like FRC and CCV on the nation is that... You know, candidates used to try to hide, pro-life candidates used to try to do everything they could to hide from their pro-life stances, their pro-family stances. Well, last night you had a major party candidate in J.D. Vance stand up and defend his pro-life views, but also take it to the left for their radical positions on things like, things like abortion and the border, to stand on things like protecting family and take it to the left on their radical transgender views. This is massive progress that we weren't seeing on the stage from conservative candidates 20 years ago. And it shows how really Christian voters have changed the electorate in America. Yeah, and to that point, there is no question that post-Dobbs, the Democratic Party and the left decided that abortion was going to be the issue that they were going to win on. And as you just referenced, uh, Republicans, people on the right, have generally been reluctant to talk about the abortion issue. Do you think that the Democrats' decision to run only on the issue of abortion has required Republicans and conservatives and, Dem and on the right to develop that muscle, develop those talking points, develop the ability to respond to this issue? Because it's the only thing Democrats have been talking about? It's they're running a campaign made for Twitter, not for actually winning voters. Uh, so please keep talking about how radical you are on abortion. One, first and foremost, in this economy where so many families are dealing with massive inflation, gas prices out of the that are over the roof, you know, a public education system that's not just morally corrupt, but academically failing. They're, they're talking about issues that are very that, that are impacting very few people. And then actually their position on those issues are are so fringe and so radical abortion up to birth uh, that uh, that they're losing people along the way. They get a lot of likes, a lot of retweets on Twitter. They create their own little Washington buzz, uh, but the actual voters are not with them. So the more they talk about this, the more people run to candidates like J.D. Vance. And I wonder if that won't end up being a... a uh silver lining to all of this, because there has been some concern that the abortion issue was going to drive people away from Republicans, but now they've been forced to become better at talking about it. You're right. There's a lot of people who don't realize how extreme the Democrats are, and maybe this is the moment that they are going to uh, realize that. But Aaron, they want to talk exclusively about abortion. You're in Ohio. You talk to people all the time there. What issues are most important to Ohio voters as they go vote for Senate and other races? 
Yeah, you know, I think first and foremost, we need to understand a state like Ohio has very clearly become a pro-life state. This has been an issue. We've been working on things like the heartbeat bill in Ohio for 10 years. And actually, people who have either voted or pledged support for the heartbeat bill, uh, which bans abortion once a heartbeat is detected, we passed it in 2019. FRC was a big part of that with CCV. Uh, they've overwhelmingly swept statewide offices. So first and foremost, states like Ohio are very clearly pro-life. But in this moment we're in today, I think you're saying obviously those economic issues matter, but something that uh, J.D. Vance did really well is understanding the impacts of drugs and how it's destroying families and communities and businesses. The reality is Ohio is at record opioid deaths right now. We're even, we've surpassed where we were when the pharmaceutical companies were cutting more pills and subscriptions than there were people in America. We have more deaths today than that. And it's primarily because of the flow of illegal drugs from Mexico into Ohio. The reality is, Biden's border policy is not just a border state issue. It's a whole national issue. And people like Tim Ryan have enabled it and are wreaking havoc because of all the fentanyl coming into our state, because of all the illegal drugs and the impact of legalized recreational marijuana in Ohio and allowing for more drugs to be brought in through that. And you can't tell the difference between the legal weed and the illegal weed. These issues have, have ravaged our community, and they're what's front and center for most people, not uh, Tim Ryan's abortion up till birth policies. Aaron, do you think Ohio voters are convinced of that story that you just described there now, where the, the, the border connection, the, the border policy really is what's wreaking havoc in their homes? Is that a, is that a voting issue for Ohioans? No, it, it really is, Joe, more, more so than ever before. Again, because it's this is one of these issues, again, the Democrats like to talk about really their elitist. Uh, you just had that whole conversation about Tulsi Gabbard, you know, talking about elitist issues that don't actually connect with real people's lives. The reality is the way the left talks about things like racism has no grounding in reality, right? It, it's just not the state of America, but they want to just talk about that all the time. What is impacting people is inflation. What's impact, impacting people is a failing and corrupt educational system. What is impacting people is drugs and crime and violence and all aaron, of those things are going up yeah I, i've got to cut you off because we're out of time but this has been fun we'll do it again aaron bear center for christian virtue thanks for joining us and thank you friends for joining us that is a program for today tony will be back in the chair tomorrow until then fear god but nothing else we'll see you next time Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.